Hello, and welcome to The Crate and Crowbar, a podcast all about video games. Recording this uh, very late on Thursday, the 10th of November. I'm Jamie Britton, and joining me tonight is half man, half machine, and half polyurethane mixed with a curing agent poured <laughs> into a mould. Tom Senior, how are you doing, Tom? I'm, I'm fully augmented and ready to pod. It's been a <laughs> while, uh, but yeah, I, I feel strong and ready to deliver hot takes. Good. With my furious arms. Good. Good. <laughs> you got the the thing that with where you can put the spikes through the dude. Uh, no, I've so not well. leveled up. I've not leveled up enough to get that <laughs> yeah. one yet. Um, You've just been scrounging praxis off the streets of, <laughs> yes, of Froom, yeah. yeah. Just licking walls. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, shall I jump right in and talk about Marvel Snap since it has consumed every waking moment uh, of the last few days? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because it took me by surprise. Actually, I was surprisingly taken by it, but also I have odds, paranoid suspicions. Uh, but uh, let, give us your take about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be a, a Marvel property without some kind of uh, uh, paranoid uh, sort of Mancurian candidate stuff going in under the surface right. to give it a vague sense of authenticity. Uh, yeah, so Marvel Snap, it's it's kind of everywhere. It is a new card game in the mould of Hearthstone, or uh, Whisper It Artifact. Um, it's, it's, you play it on your phone, I think that's probably where most people are playing it, and it follows the pretty, as now, uh, by now, sort of pretty standard model of these things, where you have a pool of energy which goes up uh, each turn. Uh, you're taking turns to play cards, usually of increasing uh, energy cost, and they all have a power level. Uh, and then you have three lanes um, where you can play your cards. You can choose between them. And each of those lanes have uh, kind of mutators built into them. So they might be, you know, you, you cards you play here double your power. Or, um, uh, you know, cards you play here will, will, will cost less or something like that. And they get kind of wild and wonderful, some of those, and, and have some really interesting uh, uh, effects uh, and sometimes quite mad effects like there was a game I was playing the other day where it, it got stuck in a loop because there's one character whose um, who's power whose special ability like a lot of the cards uh, is it's the um, Wonder uh, Wonder Vision card uh, is to transform the nature of that um, uh, of the sort of mutator on the, on the lane they're in I think they're called locations and what that was and what it transformed into was uh, to play again all of the reveal effects of the card. So she kept transforming it and it transformed into another one like that again. So it was kind of crazy. Um, I would say it is brilliant, question mark, podcast voice. I, I can't get enough of it. I think I've played it for many, many hours in kind of every spare moment. And it's been a long, long time since a mobile guy, game essentially kind of got me this hard. I think the things that I would say are really, really good about it is that the onboarding process is really, really smooth. Um, it just You just kind of fire it up. It's a very intuitive game to play. I think the branding is pretty astounding. The fact that it's called Marvel Snap is a stroke of genius because Snap is obviously the simplest card game in the world. Uh, that literally anyone can play. And this is, you know, it's a fair bit more complicated than that. But it, it, it's very friendly. It's very welcoming. It, it gives you a lot for free. I haven't spent any money in it, and I still feel like I'm getting sort of good value for my time um, spent 
the art is uh, really beautiful and gorgeous. Um, and the whole package is just put together with a, a kind of the vibe of like what I think Marvel and the MCU, even though this isn't necessarily affiliated with that, what they do well, which is a kind of sexy, shiny shimmer over everything. Everything just feels very classy and well put together. The sound design is all the kind of like um, trailer style blahs that you hear, you know. Um, it's got lovely uh, voice acting and uh, discreet little effects for when cards fire up. And it's it's mainly, it's just a very um, well put together card game, I think. I mean, I don't really know that that's true because I haven't played that many of them really and I am an idiot. But what I like about it is that at least up until recently, whether whatever level I'm at, and there are several levels there, whatever level I'm at now, um, sorry, uh, in the process of kind of getting to the level I am now, pretty much every match, if I was going to win it, I would win it by basically doing one clever thing. It wasn't like thinking three moves ahead or anything like that, because I'm incapable of that. But doing one clever thing, thinking one move ahead, and that is often the kind of clutch you need to to win a game. Uh, it's just a very, very satisfying, you know, sort of place to be. Um, also has some like really lovely mechanics. Like it has the snap ability where you you touch a glowing cube at the top and that basically operates as a uh, like the doubling cube in in uh, backgammon uh, it it doubles the value of the game um which you feel the loss of if you do it accidentally um but it feels really glorious when someone snaps and then you snap back to them and then they snap back to you and then they lose that's just you know it to, to playing the game with kind of triple stakes like that it's just it's great it, uh, this little handheld thing in your pocket that can suddenly consume you uh, but then again, the matches only ever last uh, a couple of minutes. Um, so it's... Uh, yeah, so I, I just think it's a, a very, very um, well-put-together um, piece of kit. It's made by um, sort of ex-Halfstone um, uh, people, I think, and it does it does feel like... It, it sort of feels like it has a smoothness to it that speaks of people who've been caught up in a much more complex version of a system for a long time and want to get back down to um, uh, kind of brass tacks, I guess. And it feels um, very, very pure in that way. Um, it has like a billion different upgrade sort of trees that are going on, but actually those harmonize pretty well, I think. You know, you'll be filling up one bar or completing daily tasks or something like that, but you end up getting that satisfaction of like, you know, you, 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 you press a button and another meter fills up and that causes a thing to go ping and then you press that thing and another meter fills up and okay, it makes another thing go ping. That's all, that's all I want from yeah. life, from, from video <laughs> games. Uh, and, uh, I think um, you're completely right about the name Marvel Snap is actually a really good indicator of like how accessible this is. It's actually quite a complex game. Um, give it, Well, it's interesting because... Um, for me, that like the key to the pleasure of this game is the randomized modifiers on each lane, like that. That's sort of the thing that could like upturn your whole strategy uh, when you're actually sort of playing cards. So one might be like, "Oh, you can't play power one cards here," and then the third one that flips over says, "Oh, um, on uh, you know turn five, you can move any card you want in into this section." But the key thing, I think, the key thing that the whole game revolves around this 
is that you can only play four cards into one lane. And that is like really, really important because you you get like really cheap cards. But if you put a cheap card down, um, that means that you, you're blocking off, you know, a quarter of the potential of that lane, depending on how that lane develops, depending on the precise sort of rules of that lane. Um, and also depending on perhaps you've got the Incredible Hulk and perhaps it's a lane where if you play a card, uh, you know, of plus six, it gets doubled and you've got two Hulks or something, you know, that uh, there's a sort of like really entertaining, very interesting kind of randomization to the matches that make them feel really like fun. Like actually there's some tactical intrigue. You have to react to what's happening on the, on the board, um, which is where I think like it's better even than something like Magic the Gathering where you have to pre-bake a deck or you have to build a deck and stuff like that. And Artifact, obviously Artifact I think is an definite influence on this game. Um, you still have to like, there's lots of sort of pre-knowledge you need to bring to Artifact and to Magic to get those decks working and to get your kind of uh, your whole game going. Whereas with this, you just play the cards that seem best in the moment. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it is a that vein of pure chaos that kind of goes through the yeah. center of it that is really, you know, it makes it much more um, attractive pro- a proposition for someone like me. You know, I've I've been enjoying the kind of light deck building element of this and trying things out. They make it so frictionless to pop things in and pop things out, and there's always new cards being unlocked. Um, uh, and you know that, like, even if you don't have an optimum hand and I have on uh, an optimum deck, and I haven't been like, I'm sure there's plenty of guides online, but I've been enjoying kind of puzzling it out myself. Um, you know that, well, maybe this deck isn't the most optimum it could possibly be, but there's going to be mutators on the next game, which mean I can just do something ridiculous. Um, you know, on, on a, I've got one card which I really like to use, which when you um, uh, when you play it its uh, power is multiplied by the amount of cards that are in your in your hand. So um, I have a great time sort of trying to get it to work. Um, and I managed to win a game today, which was an absolute loser. I was about to lose it. And then that card finally popped up and I was able to lay it down. And it got, it suddenly gained for various reasons. Like I've got a, I've got a screenshot of it somewhere, but it, it suddenly gained like... Uh, I ended up with a. I'm just literally looking on the Crate and Crowbar uh, a Discord for the <laughs> card games. Yeah, I ended up with one card getting a, a energy uh, a power of sixty, um, which just kind of came out of nowhere. And you can, you know, it's got that great feeling of satisfaction that you just know the guy on the other end is just like, oh, what, what? the fuck, you what know, it's just great. Yeah. Uh, so I- it's it's really fun that way. Like it gives you like when you. Like, you know, I've I've sort of watched a little bit of competitive Magic the Gathering and watched a couple of documentaries mm. about it. And like moments like that take real skill and a yeah. real ability to kind of sort of perceive an entire system, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And giving me, uh, as I say, an idiot who doesn't really know anything about card games, the chance to pull that off is just lovely. It's great. It gives you such powerful abilities right away. So, for example, you know, Iron Man, play him. He just doubles the power value of the lane uh, and you get that straight away. And the fact that you've have those tools immediately to kind of mess stuff up is actually quite empowering. Like you don't have to sort of do lots of research or research like tier lists. They just give you loads and loads of cool skills 
right off the bat, like with all the basic cards that you get, and um, with the you know the lane modifiers as well. I think it's it's just um, it's kind of for me like Marvel Snap skips a bunch of stages of learning. Like it it just as you say, it's, it's a really silky smooth you know, on ramp, but then actually it gives you really fun abilities straight away. Like that's that's really powerful, I think. For, for this sort of game especially for a mobile game and also the the way it's presented as you say like I, i've been playing it on my iphone and it's a three lane card game and that should be like very difficult to see on the screen but they've thought about it so well the, the way you can tap where you can actually like you know uh observe your abilities and blow up the screen and sort of like zoom in um it's just like it, it's sort of seamless is that your impression as well? Like, you know, going into it? absolutely. I mean, I've got the tiny, the, the tiny iPhone, the one that looks like a really old one, uh, which has a tiny little screen, and it's it's no problem at all. Everything blows up nicely when you when you tap it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to reiterate what a beautiful looking game it is. Yeah, and it is yeah. The way that the the way that you're it's very it's kind of fiendishly clever, really. The way that you acquire new cards is by leveling up your other cards cosmetically. Yes. Um, and when that happens, you get a big, um, you know, uh, blah noise, uh, and it all your card will, uh, your character will bust out of their frame, yeah. or they'll go 3D, or they'll get an- animated, and a voice mm. will go, you know, 3D, <laughs> and it's quite good because one of the the level above going 3D or animated is shiny text, mm. and the voice goes shiny text, and that's <laughs> that's never not funny. That's great, uh, and I just think that's that's a really clever thing to kind of uh, I don't know how common that is to link cosmetic upgrades to actual progression in that way, but it, it works for me because. You know, I've always found the cosmetic kind of economy in, in a lot of these games just kind of pointless. I just don't care about how my Apex Legends character looks. But here, it's it's it, it means I'm progressing as well through a you know, and I'm getting new cards. And there just seems to be this. I don't know how many there are, but there must be a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I, it's just really great fun. I mean, I I won most of my games up to the level I'm at now, which is level just looking on my <laughs> I'm on I'm at like um card level 125 or whatever or and another one of my levels is 30 just for the people who are um, listening who are playing along until that point I was winning most of my games but I've clearly hit some sort of plateau now I don't know what it is exactly with who I'm being matched with where I'm losing a lot like I played this evening and I lost a lot yeah. to people who were uh, you know really with really clever decks and and who were really kind of you know above my skill um not vaultingly so i still won a couple of times but it was interesting to see obviously their matchmaking algorithms are quite shrewd with 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 kind of how they draw a difficulty curve for you that's this is where my paranoia comes in i um mentioned at the start of the episode actually is that when i'm playing someone um in marvel snap i'm not sure if they're human or not so uh, I often will look to their username and like it's quite clear if there is sort of a weird garbage um, collection of numbers and letters that maybe might be human, whereas someone called like Mr. Hulk is, might be a bot. And I don't know, like, am I actually playing people? Because so, um, I've been playing against people who like, well, essentially people who just play quite stupidly. Like they all just put loads of, 
cars into one lane where it makes no sense to do so. And I'm not sure, like, I've, I'm, I'm sort of going mad a bit, thinking, like, is this just a bad bot or is this actually a person who just doesn't understand the game? But I've come across so many opponents like that um, who seemingly, like, I've been match, in matchmaking is, I assume, is supposed to match me with a person. But when they come in, it's like, well, they'll play, like, four cards into a dead lane. I'm like, what? <laughs> why, would, <laughs> why would anyone do that? Like, I have to know. Like, did, have you encountered that when you've been like, as far as I, as far as I understand it, it's always real people, apart from when they want to show you a new, um, you know, a new system. Okay. At which point they kind of cook the books and give you uh, a, a scenario. It's very, it's seamlessly done. You wouldn't notice it, right? Um, I think, smart. but. But they they will put you in a position quite cleverly where you're like when they introduce the the snap function, mm. they kind of I think they manage to sort of contrive a game to put you in a situation where you you know you definitely would want to snap right. Uh, and I think it even says to you like you've got this, you should do it. You know, mm. <laughs> don't don't yeah. back down. Yeah, um, which is nice. You know, rather than having to go into a sort of separate sort of ecosystem in the game to do the tutorials just putting it in there and, and swapping in ais uh, as you go i think is uh yeah it's uh I, I it's good it's, I, I think it's really clever but i i something like annoying about it in the sense that i i, I want to be told when i'm actually facing a real person <laughs> versus yeah you know i actually want some clarity there uh you know, <laughs> I, I i i think you're right that there's absolutely some sort of um embedded ai kind of onboarding stuff that's kind of occurs through your sort of like arc up through the uh through the ranks but i think like oh there's something that i don't like about not knowing whether i'm facing a, an ai or a human <laughs> i don't know uh maybe that's just me maybe it's like philip k dick nightmare novel <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> i mean I, I'm, I'm getting nice feels i was saying this on the discord the other day i'm getting nice feels from this game because uh, the first time I got involved with the Crate and Crowbar community was um, like as a sort of someone playing games and stuff like that was playing um, Artifact when that oh, came yeah. out. Cause, yeah, because yeah. Chris in particular like praised it to high heaven and uh, a bunch it, of people it was ended great, up. To be honest, it was really good. Like yeah, it was yeah. really good, and a bunch of people were playing that on the uh, on the Discord server. And then that obviously went away, and it was sad because that was a great it was a great game yeah, that yeah. they completely screwed up the uh, release of in ways that were. Yeah, very well documented. Obviously, uh, it seems like this game uh, learns a lot from you know how not to do things and how not to charge a huge entry fee for something that you're going to continue mm. to charge money for uh, yep. past that point. Uh, have you? Um, so yeah, I'm just getting all the nice feels from kind of remembering that and also being on the Crank Crab Discord and chatting through. Uh, you know, because there's always people there who are far better <laughs> than any game you could care to mention. Have you heard what the Agatha Harkness card does? Uh, no, I have not. So <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> it's it's extremely um, powerful. Uh, so she, you get um, fourteen. Uh, yeah, she's she's a six cost, and she has fourteen power, which is two more than the Hulk card. So mm. that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, but. Uh, her effect is that she plays the game for you while she's in your hand. What? <laughs> yeah. So if you draw her into your hand, she will place cards. I don't know if it's willy-nilly or if it's a shitty AI that does it. Um, but yeah, because 
you know that that card will be able to win basically any lane it yeah. ends up in when yeah, you can yeah. play it. But what happens before then is out of your control. That's amazing. <laughs> it's chaos, great? isn't it? It's just yeah. um, a very entertaining two-minute, like, chaos in two-minute bursts. Yeah, it's, it's like having a sort of grenade in your hand. Yeah. That, you know, you might be able to throw in time or it will completely screw you. I think that's I think that's brilliant. And I, I'm, if I manage to stick with this, I always say I'm going to stick with things and then it's so easy to float away. But if I do... Uh, you know, I'd love to hear about, you know, all the mad cards they can do. Because if that's the sort of thing they've got in their heads, you know, um, then the sort of sky's the limit, really. I think so. when that happens to me, like, uh, as a, on the receiving end of one of those tactics, I'm not even mad in this game. <laughs> I'm just like, well, <laughs> that's Marvel Snap. Uh, that was two minutes. I, I find it hilarious when I get just wrecked by a, a silly, stupid combo. Some sort of, like, you know, synergy between the lane rule and a particular card that just, I don't know, clones that card across the entire board with like squirrels and they're all like five power or some, or some, some nonsense. I'm not like, well, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I, I'm just, I think there's something quite nice about it being a mobile game where I don't feel terribly invested in my account or my win record or anything like that. Uh, I do feel like it's just casual enough to be, uh, funny when that happens and i i don't get like a bad feeling about those rules interactions um which is kind of interesting because if you've got like if you, i wonder if this changes if you pay money for aspects of the game um when, once you've actually got that sort of like solid investment in this thing maybe that would feel worse but as an, a, a casual two minute or oh, there's an ad break on the telly i'll just play a, a round of marvel snap uh, like I, I wonder if like there's a sort of where the levels are there, where, where it might tip over into being a bad feel game, whereas now like the chaos is very, very entertaining to me. Yeah, and and for me, like you know, hitting this this moment with it where it's it's gotten a bit harder, and the people I'm matching with sort of seem to know what they're doing a bit more. At the moment, at least, that just makes me think, oh well, I need to you know have a fiddle with my deck and and uh, you know and and maybe you know swap in some less you know flashy cards. I need some more kind of minions to to burn off at the start you know mm. at the moment it's an exciting prospect to kind of get deeper into it um you know and, and obviously one worries with particularly with online games that it will just take off far faster and harder than you can right. possibly keep up with and you're just done with it you know it's um, doing very well like it sounds like it's it is had an extraordinarily successful launch yeah, and, and hopefully those mutators, you know, if they, they'll be able to, you know, add new ones in and stuff like that. And hopefully that will stop it from being, you know, the sort of solved meta problem of just like, well, someone somewhere's worked out how to win most games of this and that's what everyone's doing and the whole thing turns into, you know, just playing the same same cards, you know, over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there, there are perennial problems with this sort of system where if one card they make is, you know, too powerful... And then nerf it, and then the whole community that is very dedicated, and probably the paying community, might get like very angry about it. Like, I mean, uh, look at Hearthstone. <laughs> I look at Magic the Gathering. Like, they have to have legal decks and retire cards, and retire decks, and you know, have seasons in order to maintain balance. And uh, to me, like Marvel Snap is not that. I don't want to get so into it that I, I care about seasons. I just want to pick it up and just play it in a you know on a bus ride or something like you know um but 
don't know. I think it's got legs though. Um, that three lane system is is fantastic. Uh, there was the um, Elder Scrolls uh, CCG as well, the, the virtual one. I can't remember what it was called, but it, that was also like actually a really good game. It was just that it didn't have the push that but Hearthstone already existed. That's the thing. Like Hearthstone just like with Blizzard's marketing budget just dominated the sort of virtual card playing market. And so all of these sort of three lane systems and artifacts and stuff like that, artifact had its own problems, um, just sort of fell away. Whereas it feels like Marvel Sniper is actually quite fresh and probably will do quite well, I think. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Maybe we can uh, check back in on it at, at, uh, at a later yeah. date and see how it's gone. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a it's a real hit for me that one, and it's like I say, it's the first game I've got me playing on my phone for a very long time, indeed. Um, yeah, uh, in, yeah the, in the Steam decked times, it's it's, <laughs> it's a <laughs> tricky thing to drag me away from that. What are you um, what are you playing on your Steam deck at the moment, Jamie? Well, I was going to talk briefly about that, actually, because I've been like going buck wild on emulators. Oh, cool. um, The Steam Deck is an absolute beast for emulators. Yeah, and yeah. there's a great program called um, Emu Deck, yep. uh, which just sort of sets everything up for you. So I've been like playing old Amiga games, Amazing. like old, completely forgotten Amiga games, um, uh, which like playing video games that you literally haven't played for 25 25- plus years <laughs> like 30 years probably for some of them is really really weird it's such oh, yeah. a strange feeling to boot up a game like for example soccer kid which was just one of the <laughs> I games that i had do you remember soccer kid yeah, yeah. i do yeah yeah I do. it was really like at the time it felt so immersive and rich and deep and like such a challenge as well because i was i could never finish games when i was a, I was mm. a little kid like that never they were always so prohibitively hard. And like yeah. to play it up now, and it's just like, oh, I thought you were a monster, but you are just a really quite shoddily made you know, <laughs> Euro platformer uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've been kind of going back through those. And I do what everyone does with emulators, which is you 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 play a bunch of them and you just think, God, this is hard work. <laughs> like games are so much more fluid now. It's quite hard to go back to games from 30 yeah, years ago. Yeah, it really is, yeah. Um, but one one I have been playing is just out of in, just because uh, I I remember playing a lot of clones of this in the nineties, which is Quix Q I X, uh, and that is a game which like most people have probably played it in some form or other, where you're like drawing squares on a board in order to kind of um, turn the square another color, and that you can kind of defeat enemies by trapping them inside boxes. Um, mm-hmm. by drawing straight lines. Um, there used to be kind of lots of versions that were Flash games or like would turn up on demo discs. But I thought I'd go back to the source and play the original um, Atari version for the Atari <laughs> 2600. And I've just got it on my Steam Deck here. I'm just going to see if this works because <laughs> the way it sounds... Oh, I can hear that. That's amazing. Whoa. <laughs> God, that's so harsh. Whoa. It's so harsh. <laughs> like I'm playing it now and it's like... <laughs> I mean, just the state of that. I love ah! it. I yeah. love it. That's Game amazing. over, it says. It's just ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> just the sound of that thing. Brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, play- <laughs> I've been playing Quicks. And it's funny because, like, playing that game, there's been so many different versions of it. There was a version on the... Uh, it's one of those games that was cloned and, and pirated and, and put all over the place. And playing, like, a version on the Mega Drive and the PlayStation and things like that, like... 
they kept coming back to this game, the same people, but it never changed. You're drawing lines and trying to like trying to stop kind of ill capture. bad yeah yeah mm. kind of capture these points and it's really fun and it's still fun in the atari version even though it sounds like you're trapped inside a like a modem hell <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the rest of your life so yeah i've been i've been playing uh, uh shit like that which is a great way to have your girlfriend walk into the room and and, and like what the hell are you playing <laughs> on that <laughs> um so yeah i've been i've been playing a, a bit of uh quicks uh, but apart from that, uh, it's uh, been Marvel Snap uh, all the way down for me. I love that um, the Steam Deck has become sort of like an emulation hub. Uh, I think that's it, it means it's still like a PC, like uh, that PC spirit is there. Is that you know there's abandonware and you know ROMs emulators all over the internet, and that you can sort of put it on this handheld thing is I think that's so cool. Oh. Oh yeah, and just to like shout out like just some of the mo- like wonderful nerds there exist in the world. It's yeah, a wonderful right. thing that like there are people who preserve like for example, I was like I fancy playing Load Runner. I used to always like playing Load Runner. <laughs> right. It's a good game. Yeah, it's and good. like this you know, there was a version of that that came out for the PlayStation and sort of around then, which is considered by fans of Load Runner and they exist in their tens, I'm gonna say, possibly hundreds. <laughs> Uh, that is considered the sort of perfect version of that game, and they've you know what they've done is they've like backwards engineered it and ported it to modern systems and made it playable and added in all the extra content and made it into this beautiful package that you can download for free. You know they make you pay to um, add music to it, I think, but otherwise it's just completely free product. I'll try and put a link in the show no- notes. And it's just like this is so much work and so much effort. You know, they you can they've clearly done a huge amount of work on this thing. For for Load Runner, you know, it's this kind <laughs> yeah. of incredibly simple game. But like getting that fired up on the on the Steam Deck is just it's just a joy because there's people who have made it their business to maintain Load Runner. Um and it's just a, a wonderful thing. And I I've also discovered in the course of having my Steam Deck that Linux gaming nerds are just mm. some of the best nerds they're just like they're so dedicated to um you know making things run in that system yeah, making yeah. things easier and there's constant you know new community versions of the the proton compatibility layer which the steam deck basically relies on for all its all its like all its power really you know if you like you can download the community version of that which is you know basically the version which all the linux nerds are tinkering with day and night and adding support for new games sort of ahead of valve officially supporting them and it's just uh it feels like a, a really exciting time for for pc gaming in, in 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 that way just kind of people really getting into kind of uh making these things playable on more places than just you know uh, y- your big your big rig <laughs> yeah because like uh, valve have always supported linux i think like they've always sort of when it Remember like Steam boxes when that was a thing, like five years ago, six years ago, maybe more. Like I, th- I think they all ran on sort of Linux systems basically, um, and then obviously that runs through the Steam Deck. And one of the things I really love about the sort of fan community, um, as you've rightly, uh, you know, uh, said, is that also they just preserve bad games as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's not just like classic games. It's like you could get you probably emulate Rise of the Robots on yeah. on your Steam Deck. Like, there's probably a way to do that. Like, uh, because I think that's actually something very 
heartening about that because no one else is going to preserve Rise of the Robots. <laughs> There's going to be some solid state like N64 cartridges or whatever of that game. Um, and when they sort of melt down or go to landfill, that game will be gone forever. But it won't because there are people who actually, even though it's crap, <laughs> will preserve it. Um, and I I think there's something very, I don't know, I know there's something very heartening about that to me. Yeah, it's very reassuring that I can go and download the specific demo disc from Amiga Power that I happen to remember. <laughs> yeah, and um, I can I can get Zool Two, which is the game, or Tearaway Thomas, which I loved playing when I was a child, um, and also just like Spectrum games that run off, you know, cassette tapes, um, like side side scrolling shooters and stuff. They're they're all there somewhere. The people have just kept them and sort of keep translating into different uh, mediums, like. Uh, yeah so much madness so many like crazy i remember remember they gave away a game with amiga power i think that was called uh, mortal kumquat (laughs) which was like a like a fruit based beat-em-up which i don't know it must be someone at that magazine who programmed it (laughs) Um, and uh you know you can find screenshots of that online should you wish to but i played quite a lot of mortal kumquat even though it basically (laughs) one thing um it's just a reminder, weirdly enough, that like indie games, you know, by function have been around for Forever. a long time. Forever. You know, it's yeah. been so many weirdos making strange games for those systems. And I guess there was a dip in the kind of as consoles kind of kind of came into being where, you know, things were just costing more and it was harder for a couple of weird guys to to make something like that. But like, you know, Elite was an indie game in yeah. you know, in terms of how it played, it was this kind of, you know, games started more like indie games than they became. I always find that uh, fascinating when you go back and it gets forgotten of, it's definitely yeah. that, that gets forgotten honestly um and also just how like well, almost willingly hard games were to play in terms of interfaces like uh and just like this idea that there's been sort of a continuous triple a uh route for games up through call of duty and into modern blockbusters it's just not true. <laughs> it's just no. Uh, it's just not true at all. Like uh, actually, games were just a weird, messy, like diaspora of weird ideas about how even you know a, a menu should be shown, <laughs> or how even <laughs> to navigate that menu with buttons. Like uh, if you go back, like to to those old, you know, the old games. They, uh, <laughs> it's amazing that anyone played them at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Those those Atari twenty six hundred games, even right. the good ones, are ugly as sin. You know, but they and had uh, amazing cover art, though. I mean, yes, they did. God, some <laughs> glorious cover art. Yeah, fantastic. I, I always think I, I I completely agree with you. And like, I know you're about the same age as me. So mm. it was this really interesting time when we were kids because you know um, people you knew who played video games always had like a really weird mixture of kit that they were playing it on you know, it wasn't <laughs> right. wasn't like now where it's what kids have now which is your xboxes and your, your ps playstations or whatever like everyone had this really mad jambalaya of atari and spectrum yeah and amigas and like bbc micros and <laughs> right. nezes uh, some people had PCs, but it just like you go around to someone's house and if they had something, you had no idea what it was going to yeah. be. Like there's the kid who has the thing where you have to put the tapes in and listen to it crackle away. Um, 
and that was just magic, really. I mean, the games were all terrible, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. what is the Terminator Two game on the Atari ST like? <laughs> it's just, uh, it was, uh, it was a, a glorious time for for weirdness. Um, yeah, uh, and I think I think today's indie game, like, they, they, you know, they kind of get back to a bit of that, really, just a kind of a sense of not really knowing what's going to come out of your out of your gaming box. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also uh, we're getting quite nostalgic about this, but. We are. <laughs> um, it's also good that the games are better. <laughs> I would say it's like they they were like uh, impenetrable, even as a kid desperate to learn how to play the Spectrum game. Uh, just sort of putting the thing in, getting the whole thing to boot up, and it took like ten minutes to actually load <laughs> the level, and then it would just be like a, a blob that moves up and down and shoots things, uh, and this goes through to like you know there, there was an interesting period like after that uh you know our childhood memories about those consoles and various pcs and amigas and things where things started to sort of streamline so you, you got your uh playstation you got your uh nintendo system and you've got your like the dreamcast for example which uh game journalists favorite <laughs> uh nostalgia uh, but at that point, like, it was still weird. Like, the Dreamcast was weird. <laughs> and also, the N64 controller was weird. Like, there was still so much weirdness and sort of strange ideas knocking around the console market. And now it feels as though, uh, right now, all the controllers have kind of settled into a particular shape. Um, a much more comfortable and better shape, <laughs> let's be honest. But um <laughs> The, the way you interact with games is, has become very, you know, uh, consistent uh, across. It, so if I was to pick up a PS5 pad uh, and then transfer to like an Xbox pad, basically all the triggers are, you know, are going to do the same things for driving games. You hold the right trigger uh, to accelerate, left trigger to brake, all of that stuff. This seems to be like with the whole gaming ecosystem is settled on a, a particular language of interaction and while that is yeah, actually probably for the best i kind of miss the nonsense yeah <laughs> i miss the sort of like bonkers stuff <laughs> like the wii remember that <laughs> that was a bonkers yes. thing to do <laughs> like yeah for a major company to just like oh we'll just have a stick that you wave around and it doesn't really quite work as well as it should <laughs> and i, I don't know i uh, I don't know where we're going. All, with this all the time with with first person shooting games, where they were like, you know, what the way we're going to make it so you look up and down, page up and page down, my friend. <laughs> yeah, those are that's how we're going to have three hundred and sixty degrees of, <laughs> of movement. You're going to hit those page up and page down buttons when you need to shoot the demons higher on higher up on the levels. Yeah, and like, um, so there's a, a great uh, Bungie's one of Bungie's first games called Oni, um, was like a third person combat uh, game. Uh, if you go back and play, uh, play that now, it's like I think it's, it's a really cool game actually. Um, loads of really good good ideas, and it's because the the controls are absolutely bonkers. But they were trying to sort of like everyone at that time was like trying to sort of make things from scratch with the controls they had. So there were these really weird ideas about like targeting and stuff like that that's uh, as all solidified now. So you know, you click in the right stick to uh, lock in on a target uh, in the modern controllers whereas in oni like i mean uh if you've not played it uh jamie i'd, I'd recommend 
giving it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I will. It's going to be. Um, it'll be difficult to get a hold of, I think, because it's... well, I'm sure I'll be, I'm sure I can find a way. <laughs> oh no, oh, it'll definitely be easy. Uh, sorry, it'll be easy to install, but um, in terms of the actual controls and actually getting used to it, it's a very yeah. strange thing. But I, I'd recommend it as a sort of interesting. There are lots of different directions that third-person combat games could have gone in, and only was trying to push in one particular direction. Yeah, it makes you sort of appreciate, you know, like a, a game like Quop or something, you know, a game that goes <laughs> yeah. out of its way to uh, to bust through uh, some of that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's, I, yeah, those physics. That's a really good shout. Yeah, those physics games are sort of like trying to undo all of your learned. Uh, kind of muscle memory when it comes to actually, you know, controlling games. It's funny. I've just I've discovered recently that I can't play games where you're um, uh, sort of weightless and, and moving around uh, in a kind of uh, space uh, like a chip breaker. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I've realised those games make me motion sick. Uh, and I first realised it playing like the weightless sections of Prey, which is one of my favourite games of all time. And I've oh, played yeah. it through many, many times. And I always have to rush through those bits because it does make me feel sick. And it gives me like a really nasty headache. And mm. so I've only I've only managed to play a couple of hours of Shipbreaker, even though I really enjoyed it. Because for whatever reason, that control system, something about the way it, the way you move in relation to it, it makes me really ill. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, so Shipbreakers has like a really strong sort of me- like momentum. Yeah. So when you push forward, like uh, it's very much trying to, it seems, simulate zero G. Um, kind of like the, the, you, you're a mass moving forwards, so you're not going to stop moving forwards until you make a movement. Otherwise. And that and, is, and that would be horrible, wouldn't it? In real I mean, life, yeah, to be yeah, inside sure. a inside a space, weightless, navigating your way around it, um, even even before you got blown up by uh, uh, you know disconnecting the wrong wire. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, and uh, oh slicing. Uh, there's a weird thing about that game, like you slice through the hole, and then you see all of space, and <laughs> you feel really, <laughs> really alone. <laughs> it's like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so at the at the other end of the uh, usability spectrum from uh, from uh, weird games with the clicky keyboard on the spectrum uh what have you been playing recently tom I, i've been playing the most uh it, just the, the easiest big budget game to play uh and at the moment it is god of war or dad of war or son of war dad of boy dad of boy, <laughs> dad of boy. uh god of war ragnarok which so the God of War got rebooted in 2016 or something. I don't know, like when it actually got rebooted, but it was an incredibly good reboot. Like it's it's fantastic. Uh, it moved from being a sort of like PlayStation three sort of uh, Sony darling, to be honest, because it was, you know, showed off all the capabilities of the console at the time and was visually spectacular and had a tremendous sense of scale. The fact that you're this, um, small figure on the screen that is like you know mounting Gaia and fighting uh Zeus and this incredible sense of like uh being this sort of powerful being that on a quest for vengeance uh, and then that all changed uh, a few years ago with the uh, reboot where actually the the massively vengeful god is now uh, he's a dad and uh, he's got a boy and you know you know, he's he's a bit difficult, and uh, yeah, they got they got stuff to come to terms with, haven't they? Those guys, yeah, <laughs> they, they've got you know, um, 
things to work through and uh they do it through punching through the brains of a million creatures <laughs> like that's the the arc of all these games is that you know as much as they there's a sort of like um vision of the, this there's an idea that perhaps you know this is God of War has been elevated by the fact that it's about a father and a son. No, it's all about sticking an axe in a, a dragon. <laughs> that, it basically, like, fundamentally is still that. And I don't think I should be afraid of that. I think that's, I mean, the core appeal of the series is that you are fighting enormous things and you, you get to meet gods, uh, see extraordinary creatures, uh, and all of that stuff, like the God of War Ragnarok serves that really well. Um, about sort of, uh, I think about five or six hours in, I think. And I think like, it's almost like too much char- characterization in this game. <laughs> like, and the characterization is off. So by which I mean, you're still like uh, Kratos, you still play Kratos and your son, Atreus. Uh, you're still kind of on a... Uh, Kratos sort of wants to sort of settle down, and Atreus obviously wants to get out there and in, into the world. Yeah. Uh, he thinks Ragnarok is coming, so he wants to win Ragnarok, as a, you know, a fourteen-year-old boy would. <laughs> um, but there's absolutely no reason why Kratos would indulge him. <laughs> uh, so th- there's kind of like a weird thing with God of War uh, Ragnarok in that. You've got these really fun characters where you get to go and meet loads of gods and you get to have all these fantastic combat encounters. But fundamentally, it's not like... Um, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> the fundamental sort of uh, idea of, you know, motives. There's no reason why Kratos would indulge Atreus and there's no reason particularly why um, Atreus would actually kind of pursue... Ragnarok, like uh, it's almost like they're sort of working towards the title of the game <laughs> instead of actually sort of being characters. Um, and also just like the characterization of the um, the Norse gods you do meet, and I I have a bit of a dog in the game with this one because like I studied uh, Norse mythology at uh, university and stuff, so I've got a sense of how Thor. Odin and uh, uh, the other Aesir kind of are portrayed in those myths. Um, and the idea is that if you're, you're down at your local pub, Thor might turn up. You might just walk, walk in. Like, that. that's kind of... And he, he would be, like, incredibly charismatic, the soul of the party, and, and then uh, everyone would get drunk and then go home, and Thor was there. <laughs> Um, or you could be at home in you know deep winter, and there's you know snow coming down, and you're freezing, and you hear a knock at the door, and there's a guy in rags who wants some food or some warm mead or whatever, and that's Odin. Like you just can wander into your your shack. Um, but in this one, I, I just feel like <laughs> that's that's such a rich idea. That's such a good idea for like uh, uh, gods that you can uh, display in a game whereas what happens is you you encounter a god one particular god and um you have some kind of borderlands level banter 
And that's not to <laughs> that's not to like um, Borderlands. That's not to you know throw shade on Borderlands because like Borderlands is its own character. And, you know that characterization is perfect for that world. But for this world, like if a god lands next to you and you sort of like have have some banter, and then he says be senior and then jets off no, <laughs> no the, the, a god the, these gods wouldn't say that like uh, I, just, I just kind of feel as though they've they had such a, like an open goal with the design of these characters so i saw thor um that one of the first pictures they released of uh, ragnarok was uh their design of thor and he looks like a sort of heavyweight bruiser and the guy who would sort of like be in your sort of local pub in the corner and sort of like maybe get into a fight. I was like, yeah, that's perfect for him. That's great. But when you actually hear him talk, it's like, it's this weird kind of, I don't know, New York, New York sass kind of, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I do, I've, I've ranted a bit. So Jamie, like, have you played any of the God of Wars? Yeah, so for me, um, God of War isn't really something I've ever played. I love watching it. Um, Christopher Odds, the streamer, who's kind of my my favorite sort of streamer for that sort of thing. If I want to watch, if I want to, you know, play a AAA game without having to actually spend money on it and get through, I always go for him because he's got just the right amount of like remove from it. You know, he'll kind of comment, but he's not a big reaction guy. You know, he's kind of he's just you just feel like you're along for the ride. It's very good. Um, so he's playing through it and I watched his um, play for the first one um, uh, when that one came out uh, I think I think obviously they're really beautiful games they look immense fun to play I think there is a problem in AAA with uh, how to structure stories like this so the first game you know the first game sort of tells you what feels to me like 60% of a story it doesn't quite get where it needs to go and it, and it kind of, you know, very much explicitly leaves off for a sequel. I've only watched, like, kind of the first couple of hours of, of, of play at this game. And although I would say that, like, I enjoy the characterization, particularly I think Richard Schiff as Odin is pretty inspired. Uh, you know, obviously as a big West Wing head, it's great to see him basically there. <laughs> you know, they based the character model on him too. Um, and that's that's a glorious thing. But I, as I was saying, I do think these games have a structural issue when they want to tell, when they want to give you lots of opportunities to go buck wild with an axe and kill shit and, and stab things through the brain, but also tell a really rich and um, textured story about interesting characters. I think it's an immense challenge to do, and they make it even harder for themselves by doing things like having it all done in one single take, um, quote unquote, uh, you know, they want to be so focused on, on the character and they want you, you know, the intent is so pure. I think they want you to be incredibly immersed in this world and living with this character and, and, and living with all the other characters too. But I think a story is a very hard thing to maintain through a, a you know, a long triple a game where there's going to be a bunch of side quests. There's going to be a bunch of stuff where you're, you know, um, not playing it for a while, or you're running up, rubbing up against a boss, or you know, there's all these other factors which mitigate against a really strong single narrative. 
and and I think it's a very hard thing to games to, for games to reconcile. I actually think the best game, and when I last chatted to you, we talked about it, is uh, Marvel Spider Man. Talking about Marvel again, I'm really not a Marvel fanboy, but I thought that game managed to structure itself and spread its story and its side quest, and it's just like kind of titting about time, um, really, really expertly and allowed you to control the momentum of it. You know, it's in an open world. It's very clear, you know, what you have to do next. Um, and you can either put that off or you can go straight for it. Now, I haven't played uh, God of War 2 and I've only watched a bit of it. But I just know from the first game that that is a really hard um, uh, kind of sum to uh, balance, equation to balance, uh, because it just doesn't fit the kind of movie structure of character development or the TV season structure of character development. It's a very hard thing to fit in there. And I think they probably struggle against it quite a lot, you know, and it wasn't such a problem in God of War of old because Kratos was just possessed of this kind of incredible bloodlust, um, you know, and anger and rage and kind of ridiculous misogynistic kind of, you know, insanity which gave the games a kind of violent purity and a kind of joy in excess. But like humanizing him and making him more of a sad dad, that's a great idea and it's a great it's great character motivation, but it splits your it splits your um direction in two, basically. You're telling two stories um about a kind of reformed murderer, essentially, a guy kind of, you know, trying to get over the person he used to be and and forge on ahead anew, whilst also being a game about killing lots of monsters, whilst also trying to people a world with a, a rich and, and textured kind of cast of characters with all their own motivations. And what that ends up happening is you end up having lots of characters withholding information from each other or not telling each other things um, when they really could just tell them things or delaying actions needlessly. And all these things are an anathema to genuine, real-feeling stories. And as I say, I, I, I have sympathy for them and I have sympathy for games like this because you know games like this are, are, are a rare thing and they cost a huge amount of money and time and, and, and skill to make, obviously. But I do think if you're trying to tell cinematic stories... You have to tread incredibly lightly across those stories, otherwise things will start to ring false. The thing was at the you know the, the God of War reboot was that um, there was a very very strong objective throughout the entire story, that an overarching objective, which was to take their mother's, uh, Atreus's mother's ashes to the highest peak in the realms, and that was the fundamental driving force of the entire thing and they got you know sidelined into lots of different you know uh interesting quests and adventures but fundamentally like when that was the new the, the sort of the denouement at the end like uh, that they managed to do and that was kind of what they were driving for and it, that was kind of born out of a, a sense of love and loss and the very really kind of powerful direction there and this one just doesn't have that <laughs> um it's like it, they're trying. I think it's it, as you say. Like the structure of games just doesn't map onto the structure of you know traditional sort of narrative arcs, and that is difficult to sort of navigate. But I think like you could still just keep it simple. We could just have an enemy or some sort of objective or something that you need to go for, 
and get to a, a kind of like a distant objective, uh, even if you kind of like fail and get sidetracked. I, I don't know. And this one doesn't have that because it's it's really weirdly ambivalent about like Ragnarok. Is it happening? Is it not happening? Who is Atreus? Who is Kratos in this? There's also prophecies. Are they important? Are they not? And that stuff gets just kind of boring. <laughs> you know, if, if there's not that sort of driving character arc or, or sort of desire to help someone win or get somewhere, um, I think that this one just lacks that completely. Uh, well, I think there is also an, a desire to be big and for the stakes to be high and for things to feel, you know, like the mm. end of the world, like, yeah. you know, everything's being sucked into oblivion in, in the hope that that will make us care you know, um, more. Um, and that's sometimes true, but it's not always true. You know, I cared more about Spider-Man in that game, I guess because he's, he's Spider-Man and his character is, 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 is necessary. Well, his character is, is, is just generally a more positive one. He's a more positive guy. He's more optimistic. So seeing that undercut felt new and different in that game, you know, the way in which he is screwed over, uh, no spoilers in that game you know that felt that that came as a surprise to me whereas now uh, you know they need like i say I haven't, I haven't played it but they need some new tricks i think uh to to get to that place because you know everyone loves mass effect 2 because it essentially tells a story uh, aside from the main thrust of those games the main narrative thrust it like goes all right let's just go off on a on a kind of character focused excursion on something that doesn't actually play that much into the you know the ultimate destination of those games but becomes for many people the most important emblem of it because it takes a different angle in how it looks at its characters and, and how they behave in this world yeah i think that's i think it's kind of um i feel slightly bad about complaining about it really because it's it, absolutely beautiful it's a, an astonishing piece of work like Everywhere you go, like Alfheim, traveling between realms, even just rowing about the place and sort of opening chests, absolutely gorgeous. The combat is really, really exciting and fun. Um, and the itemization, this is like a really nerdy point, is way improved on the previous game in terms of when you get new items, um, how you upgrade them and the effects that they give. Uh, plus also... The way you level up is really, really cool in this game. Um, so you level up skills by using them. So you can unlock them by spending experience. But um, the more you use a particular axe hit, for example, uh, if you get it to a certain level, you can then attach uh, effects to that uh, that particular attack. Does, might that, be like... does that mean that like my mate Luke used to do in Oblivion where he just went around jumping everywhere to slowly level up his jumping ability? Yeah, but instead <laughs> of jumping, you're... Push, putting a, a sword into a brain yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Why jump well, uh, when you can put a sword into someone's exactly brain? Exactly right, yeah. I mean, uh, that's how Kratos would, you know, that's, that's how he rolls. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, so, not, uh, he's not a jumping boy, is he? He tends not to. <laughs> no, he, he's very much an axe boy. Um, <laughs> uh, so, look, like, this particular like, axe attack that I use all the time, and it's, it's leveled up enough, uh, you could choose to like do more damage or do more of a particular status effect. So um, there's an emergent kind of skill set in the combat system where, because I use this thing a lot, uh, I then get to augment it, and then that changes my other decisions about other skills that I choose to use. It's actually really clever. It's it's really, really nice. I really like it because it's um, 
it's a very light touch development system, like a um, progression system. And it's very, very satisfying, but not too complicated. Like, well, I, I, I can, I can sort of surmise that it, it leans into whatever you're enjoying the most. Which exactly. sounds like a, a good way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and then it, it, because you enjoy using this particular move, then uh, maybe it does frost damage. And then maybe you look at other skills that might do frost damage and stack them and, and that kind of stuff. But it's very light touch um, and absolutely perfect for this type of game, like a AAA game, like the, where you just want to sit down and mash the monsters for a bit. Um, then you get a bit of progression. Uh, it's, it's really good. Excellent. Well, that is all the uh, chat we have uh, time for this evening. It's very, very late. Um, uh, you can hang out with us and our community on Discord, uh, the link for which is on our website, www.creatingcrowbar.com. Is that the website? I don't even know if it is. Um, if you have a question for a future episode, you can email us at questions at Creating Crowbar or tweet us at uh, on Twitter at Creating Crowbar, although um, you know that place is haunted now, so watch where you stand. Um, these episodes are also uploaded to YouTube, uh, youtube.com, uh, Creating Crowbar, uh, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like. The Creating Crowbar is kindly funded by Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about our supporting, supporting podcast and its spin-offs, www.patreon.com, Creating Crowbar. Um, all that less to say is I've been Jamie Britton. I've been Tom Senior. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening.